Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, first up, a couple of international events that are shaping our world. APEC, as you know, uh, that's fallen apart. Well, not the organisation itself, not the not the pact itself, but, you know, they can't reach an agreement. Why? Because America and China can't agree on words. This is just a symptom of the fact that this is Australia's reality. We're stuck between these two humongous powers. One, our major trading partner, the other, our major strategic partner. And if you look to Europe, it's not much better there. If you look to Europe and Brexit, what a mess. I must say I felt incredibly sorry for the British Prime Minister Theresa May last, well, Friday our time, when she finally announced that she got the Cabinet to agree on something that she didn't want to do, and most of the country now doesn't want, for one reason or the other. But here was part of a very, very dignified speech. My approach throughout has been to put the national interest first. Not a partisan interest, and certainly not my own political interest. I do not judge harshly those of my colleagues who seek to do the same, but who reach a different conclusion. They must do what they believe to be right, just as I do. I'm sorry that they've chosen to leave the government, and I thank them for their service. But I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. From the very beginning, I have known what I wanted to deliver for the British people, to honour their vote in the referendum. Well, there she is, a brave, a brave person indeed, and you'd have to say a real stateswoman in the way she's handled this matter. She didn't want to exit from the European Union. It was handed to her by that referendum where it's not even clear, in fact, if people really understood what they were voting for when they made that decision to jump ship from the EU. Professor Simon Tormey is from the Department of Government at the University of Sydney. He's an expert on European politics and national elections and political theory. Simon Tommy, welcome back to Open House. Thank you, Stephen. Well, when we spoke on Friday, uh, it was just after Theresa May had made those words, you said, well, don't know if she's actually going to survive the weekend. She's done, mm. she's done okay so far. Done okay so far, but the signs are really not very good. Um, what has happened since Friday is that we now learn that there is five of her front bench uh, closest cabinet colleagues who've decided that they're going to get their heads together to come up to an, with an alternative to her withdrawal agreement. So, I mean, this is a pretty much a direct challenge to her authority. Mm. We've also got news of 23 letters that have gone in, at least 23 uh, to the uh, chair of the 1922 committee, which in turn decides whether there's going to be a vote of no confidence. So it seems to me that Yes, Theresa May has surprised us last week with her kind of statesman-like uh, rhetoric, as you, as, uh, as you put it. Um, and I think that itself is quite interesting because it's really a, a moment of clarity for herself. She's clearly decided that the withdrawal agreement that she's got is the best thing on offer. And that's, uh, that's important for the British public to know that. I don't think she's kidding them. She's not pulling a leg or anything like that. Well, no, she why would she? The problem is no one else does believe it. That's right. Well, she wouldn't be pulling their leg because she wasn't even invested in it in the first place. So it looks from the outside as, as if she's rolled up her sleeves and done her best with something that's impossibly complicated. That's right. So, um, but she might have said that two years ago, but she didn't do that. Uh, 18 months ago, she gave a, a famous speech at Lancaster House where she set out really what was the 
basis of the folly that we now find ourselves in. In other words, that we were going to have a hard Brexit, but also maintain all the advantages and frictionless trade, unicorns and magical thinking. So (laughs) if he had actually sat down in the first place and said, really, there isn't this comfortable sort of compromisey negotiated middle Uh, then we wouldn't have had the spectacle that we've had, frankly, for the last year and a half, which is someone really not keen to to agree with the European Union that it works in a particular way and Britain had better either live inside the European Union Hmm. or leave it. That's really what was on offer at the very beginning of this process. Well, it's it's about 585 pages, this bill that got through the Cabinet, including the people who have now left the Cabinet and those who are saying they've got an alternate bill. So that just shows how much difficulty there is within the government. And you have to say that um, they're, you know, they're shot for, for another generation. Well, the, I, I mean, this is the problem with the optics. So yeah. basically she's done this with her head of the Brexit negotiation, Ollie Robbins, who's a civil servant, who's been reporting straight to her, cutting Dominic Raab pretty much out of the loop and the rest of her cabinet colleagues out of the loop in order to get a negotiated agreement. So this is the problem, that in a sense, in order to come up with a a document which she could then present to her own colleagues, she's actually cut out the cabinet itself. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting the revenge (laughs) of that process of cutting them out because Mm -hmm. they're they're very busy sharpening their their knives and their lines and and really getting ready for an unholy week, if you like, next week of of further speculation and political crisis. Well, now, those of us uh, on the periphery, more than you are, might wonder why it's so complicated. Give us the 101 on that. It's complicated because really what you're trying to do is square a circle here. Um, When Britain voted for Brexit, we didn't quite know what that meant. But the European Union reminded us that when you leave the European Union, you can be leaving the single market and the customs union and everything else. There's a kind of series of concentric circles. And really what Theresa May as a Remainer has been trying to do was to sort of maintain some of those advantages that Britain has as being a member of the European Union, but without actually being a member of it. So this is why I'm saying squaring the circle or magic thinking or, you know, all these kind of things, Mm. because it's been an impossible object from the start, really from the start, it should have been quite apparent that leaving meant also leaving the single market and leaving the customs union. But people and knew that, surely, Simon. I mean, this is what the No campaign was saying during the breakfast referendum. Absolutely. <laughs> but the, the, the problem, and to be fair to Theresa May, is that the, the very second after the Brexit deal, the pound falls. Yeah. 10% on the overseas market and every single person in the city of London and the whole of big business says, do you know what we're about to do here? We're about to dive off a cliff with no wings because that economically is what actually leaving the single market and the customs union means. I mean, Britain just does not have the wherewithal to survive uh, without these ar- uh, arrangements, not least because 46% of its own exports are straight into the European Union. So the whole of the motor trade, the whole of pharmaceutical, the whole of the exporting supplier-led part of the economy has basically unanimously condemned the effort to leave the customs union in the single market because they know what the ramifications are going to be. Well, some things are a little bit too complicated, perhaps, to leave to a popular vote. I don't, I'm, can't believe I'm almost saying that. I mean, we believe in democracy. They gave us the democracy. And yet it's a fair call that... Um, you know, the the, na- the nature of the people who voted yes for the Brexit may not have understood the complexity of it. So here's the big question. She said no, but will there be another referendum? 
Well, funnily enough, you know, you asked me a week ago and I said probably not. Why? Because there wasn't a much of a constituency for it. Theresa May is against it. Jeremy Corbyn is against it. But I think the only way to get ourselves out of what is now a really worsening constitutional crisis for Britain. And, you know, if if the listeners aren't you know totally plugged into them, I completely uh, comprehend that. But this is the worst political crisis. I mean, this makes Suez crisis look like a nosebleed by comparison. I mean, it, it is right up there with... Um, uh, the, the very worst and, and most damaging kinds of political crisis that one can think of. So what's got to happen now is some fairly constructive thinking about what kind of procedure is going to allow us to dig ourselves out of this hole, because that's really where Britain is going to find itself. And it what seems would to that me, hole look like? If you say it's worse than Suez, I, I know because you said that to me on Friday that you're not joking. Like, what would it look like, a Britain without a plan and an exit in, in, in the works? Well, what it looks like is probably, first of all, as we've seen since uh, Wednesday onwards, a a, a collapse of faith in the markets. So the sterling is once again pretty much in free fall. We've got all sorts of um, signs and indications from business that are getting fed up. They're disinvesting. Uh, Companies like BMW and Ford are making decisions very openly that they can't possibly invest as long as this degree of uncertainty continues. So the international markets are beginning to sort of adjust to this. And they're saying it's likely that Britain's going to crash out without a deal in March, in which case we are gone. So, you know, there really is kind of very high stakes here. And it begins with the banks and the city and the big businesses and the automotive industry. And all of them are beginning to vote with their feet not investing. Britain is a pretty sad place at the moment because a lot of the things that should be happening are not happening. And uh, we've got, you know, basically a damning verdict from the UN talking about the impact of austerity on the healthcare and housing crisis and all that. So we, we, we're living in a real time sort of, you know, somebody mentioned car crash the other, to me the other day. Well, the, the thing about car crashes is they come to an end. You know, the doors are off, the boots gone and everything like that. But this one just keeps on tumbling along. And that's that's the problem. It's actually beginning to really make an impact on ordinary people's lives. Yeah, and not to put too fine a point on it, I suspect, uh, Simon, that those who voted to leave were thinking of a, of a time when Britain was the head of a big commonwealth of nations and the trade was all within that commonwealth family and certainly we're still part of the commonwealth with them but even looking at Australia, well our trade is with China, our trade is in our own region, our trade is with others. We have some trade with Great Britain of course but they're going to really compete, um, they've got to compete with others now to try to find new markets if they're out of Europe. So here, you know, do they become the banana republic? of Europe. Are they doing Greece and Ireland? Yeah, I mean, a a couple... I mean, Ireland's doing extremely well, of course. Um, As an Irishman, I'd (laughs) stick up my country at this point. And it's not Brexiting. (laughs) It's not Brexiting, but it's very, very severely impacted by Brexit. So that's that's a concern for my fellow countrymen. But the one thing here about, you know, we imagine that those who voted Remain did so because they're kind of intelligent and bright, and those who... There are some very good reasons why people are sceptical about the European Union. I mean, it itself is in crisis. If we look at the recent elections, particularly in places like Italy and in Sweden, uh, and the the kind of ruckus over what's happening about, you know, Greece and and so on, I mean, there are actually very good and very legitimate reasons to be sceptical about the European Union. And particularly when you hear things like, 
Macron and Merkel talking about a European army, a further erosion of national sovereignty and so on. So I, um, to me personally, I completely understand why people should look at the European Union and say, why do we want to be a member of that shower? You know, it, it, it's bent on further integration, very elite project, and yet it's leaving behind some of its own countries in a really appalling state, places like Greece in particular, but also Italy has suffered a lot over the last few years as well. So I think it's actually quite complex. It's not that all the picks in the box lie with the Remain camp, far from it. It's simply that when we're thinking about the ramifications of things and the consequences of actions, it's not all that clear what the impact of Brexit's going to be. And of course, um, the immediate predictions that people made was that it would be terrible for Britain. But actually, Britain, in certain respects, has economically performed not too bad. So low unemployment, low inflation and so on. There's still job creation going on. So it, it's not as kind of cut and dried, I think, as us experts like to, to think about it. But at the same time, it is actually becoming clear now. And I think public opinion as well, we shouldn't forget, is on the move. It's now getting yes. clearer and clearer that, yes. you know, if you have a second referendum, it's probably now, I, I would have thought, you know, more than odds on that people would vote to remain. Well, we shall wait and see. Simon Tommy, thank you so much for uh, explaining that to us and uh, projecting ahead for us tonight. It's always good to see you. Yeah, very welcome, Stephen. Bye-bye now. Professor Simon Tommy is from uh, Sydney University, um, where he's at the uh, School of Social and Political Science. It's a fascinating story, and you just think about the sweep of history, and to be living through such a time is, at at one level, very concerning, I think, but at another level, very interesting, Um, even to see how the rise of nationalism around the world is starting to reshape the way we relate to each other. Oh, there we are. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.